How are you, sir, on this damp and cold and kind of rainy Memorial Day weekend? Yeah, well, I'm I'm warm and dry, actually, is what I am. Nicely I'm done, nicely done. Yeah, where as opposed to yeah. you are sitting outside somewhere. I am sitting outside because there's uh, I don't know, there's people talking and listening to music inside, so I figured I would be respectful to come out here in case I have to go. Welcome to Tell the Damn Story, <laughs> episode one. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, that's where we are. Episode 140. Tell the damn story. Alex Simmons, Chris Ryan. That's who uh, we. You know, as we start, we kind of talk about what's been happening, and then we get into the main event. So, Alex, what's been happening, bro? What's been happening? Well, um, aside from the fact that I had an interesting, truly discomfort, uh, dis- uncomfortable, uncomfortable. I was full of discomfort, but it was an uncomfortable bout with food poisoning uh, over the past couple of days. Uh, by the way, folks, don't do that. I just highly recommend avoid food poisoning at all costs, okay? But I'm, I'm feeling better. Uh, I'm not 100%, but I'm feeling much better. So if I seem a little, uh, you won't notice. But aside from that, um, I've been doing a couple of things that have been fun. I'm working on a book for first, second publications. Um, I, I'm not supposed to say what the topic is. But it's a graphic novel, and I'm having a good time working on it. And it, it's right in my wheelhouse because it's uh, about the past, about something that happened very monumental in the past. And a lot of the other elements I like to have in my stories are there. And um, I'm just looking forward to being able to talk about it further as I get further into it and they give me permission. So that's been one of my big pushes. Uh, the other is I have an intern. Uh, which is fine. Yeah, this is my second second intern from, from, one was from a college in Maryland and, uh, you know, virtual, virtual. And now this one is through a recommendation. Uh, She's a college student, but she was recommended to me and vice versa by a third party. And she's wonderful. She's absolutely wonderful. Uh, She's enthusiastic. She wants to be a writer and a journalist and all that. And we're having a good time working together. She's doing some research for me. And I can tell you that as one who tends to function alone a lot, like I do this show with you, but a lot of the other things I do, I'm solo, solo writer, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really cool to have somebody who you you don't have to motivate, you know, which is great. She's curious. She's naturally curious. She, she wants to progress and learn and try things, you know, in terms of writing techniques and learning about research and learning about character development. So it's great when you have somebody who's enthusiastic and, and eager to learn, whether they, they know everything or they're, they're just starting out from scratch. So I'm enjoying that. She's been a tremendous help. So those are two big things that are going on right now for me. That's very cool. That's very, very, very cool. Well, um, How about you, sir? It'd be your time. Uh, well, um, we're expanding the uh, traditionally published uh, resume. Uh, we have you and I. We have one that's supposed to come out uh, early July. Ooh! Right. Pay um, uh, has been asking us to be patient, but we wrote uh, uh, Sally the Secretary, and um, what was the other one we did? The the blackjack story. Black, yeah. Blackjack meets um, uh, agent, secret agent X. Was a- it X? Secret yeah. agent X. Yeah. 
So we're waiting. We're waiting for them to come through. It's been a while. We're waiting for that to come so through. They've had some uh, populations, though, right? So it's, not, it's not been, you know, it's not been laziness or anything on their part. It's just no, they've had just lots going on with them. Yeah. They are publishing yeah. a ton of other things, but there are also some help stuff. It's, you know, it's just a Life. lot happening over yeah. there. So we, you know, they wrote to us and asked for a little more time before we put it somewhere else. And sure, we will. And, um, my second um, Penelope story was on um, early in, uh, earlier in May on uh, Shotgun Honey. Hot dog. And, and then we have uh, a what's story. What's that called? Wait. Sorry? Shotgun Honey, the story you did, the second story. What's the uh, title? The first one was called Penelope on the Job, and the second one was called Vengeance Come My Way. Vengeance. And I just wrote and sent them a third story, which actually fits in before Vengeance Comes My Way and kind of uh, gives backstory on why she's as um, active and vicious in Vengeance Comes My Way as she is. So hopefully they'll, you know, they'll be interested in that. and It'll be a, a trifecta for Shotgun Honey. That would be cool. And uh, we talked about Buja Khan um, in that anthology with Walter Mosley and a bunch of other people. And that's coming out. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's coming yeah, out yeah. in you know, let's, let's gloss over that, September bro. or October. Yeah. Let's not gloss over that. You are in a, an anthology with Walter Mosley. You know? one, of, one of my all-time heroes. One there you of my go. Absolute all-time heroes. Um, yeah. I'm, when is it coming out? Because I, I was yelling enthusiastic uh, for that. It's either I think it's October 21st, but it might be September 21st. I'd have to double yeah. check it. But uh, right when the uh, um, Buchcon was supposed to be happening out in California, so you know everything, every story in there has a California theme. Uh, the, the anthology call is called California Scheming, <laughs> and uh, I have a story, the very first Hellhound story, is going to show up there, and that's uh, those characters. Uh, spin out of this the city of woe city of pain stories those two novels so it's really cool to take a risk uh see if those two characters could work in a different way and um i mixed heavily mixed um action with a touch of supernatural and complete farce and it went <laughs> and it worked really well so i'm not sure if uh Hollywood will appreciate my humor, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, <laughs> Let's never stop and you. I'm, no, it never stopped me before. <laughs> I'm, I'm finishing uh, one more short story that uh, is going to go to, a, I can't talk about who and I can't, but it's an interesting anthology with a theme. And I'm hoping that, I, they liked the pitch and they said, write that story. So you know, I hope that I do justice for them on that. And um, I have no short, and uh, I think I'm going to submit that. There's uh, another place that I, I haven't submitted to that I would like. So it's been busy. The quarantine has been busy for me. And, uh, you know, once the day job lightens up with school, then I'm going to sit down and do the hopefully last edit of uh, City of Woe and keep moving forward with that. So, yeah, yeah, lots of stuff, lots of stuff. Um, I don't Actually, have a clever segue today. What? Yeah, I was going to say, it's a perfect segue here because 
We both have talked about all this writing. Oh, I know how, right? I yeah, know. you know, and which is, you know, all this. I'm part- also, I'm also, here's the segue. I'm also uh, talking with an artist, uh, negotiating with an artist to do, to do new covers for Genius High and for a simple rebellion. And a simple rebellion has a reputation as being the most political of my novels. <laughs> and I don't and I don't see it as overtly political. I see it uh, as a love letter. It's been called by reviewers as a love letter to America, you know, based slightly in the future when the country, if we continue the way we're going with all this divisiveness, you know, my horror is that America will shatter. So I said, well, what if it does? What is that going to be like? And that's where the story comes from. But it's not overtly, you know, uh, it's not anti-Trump. You know, this is three or four presidents after Trump or something like that. Uh, At least two presidents after Trump, I forget. Um, It's about America. It's not about any particular. And And I do, well, let me say this. I do attack viciously the 24 hour news cycle, the political left and the political right <laughs> to make fun okay. of all those. Okay. So, you know, but the question that you were asking was about obligation. Well, yes, you know? this is, this is the question. It's a question that's been put out there quite a bit. Um, I heard it years ago and it's, it's, it's still out there. And there's, there are two statements. There's one's about whether or not, artists are obligated to write or create about social or political um, issues, issues in general. Are you obligated to do that as an artist? The other question is, um, well, let's, let's stick with that one to start out with, uh, not to get convoluted. Are artists absolutely obligated to do their work? Because the, the phrase is, you know, art is political. This is the word that I've, the phrase that I've heard a lot for years, and it bugs me. It bugs me because it makes this emphatic statement that I personally don't agree with. But then again, you know, we're talking about opinions here, too. But I uh, think explain that. Explain that. Why don't you agree well, with it? Art, to me, art is art. Art is an individual expressing him or herself through some creative form. And that mm-hmm. can be dance, music, illustrations, uh, writing, you know, words uh, and probably sculpture and a number of other things that are considered artistic. That individual is expressing him or herself, their thoughts, their feelings, so forth and so on. Maybe just their vision, you know, and ultimately to say that all art is political, I think sort of robs us of a certain amount of just individual humane or humanity uh, expression, human expression. I don't think all humans are political. I think political is a contrived word. It's a word we came up with. It covers a certain territory. It means a certain amount of, 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 of subject matter and also uh, a professional um, um, industry. But I think art is, is art. It is expression and, and should be considered as expression until the artist has chosen uh, the subject matter, the theme, the subtext, the philosophy that they're promoting, yeah. in which case then you can look at it as, well, an, you know, dealing with an issue or political or whatever you want to label it, however you want to label it. Well, you know, you said uh, 
politics that's made up for to which I thought of Thor. All words are made up. Yep. Um, but <laughs> but let's use that as uh, that weak segue as a, uh, uh, a diving off point. You know, there are uh, families or schools of uh, fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe who look at those movies as really cool punch em ups. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you look on YouTube now, there are philosophical, psychological, political um, interpretations of those films that go far deeper. Including ours. Yeah, we've done the same. Yeah. And that's okay, too. You know, mm-hmm. I think there's, there's the author writes and the reader read, you know, and read a response theory is that whatever the reader sees in it is there. And if so, then fine, okay. But I didn't write uh, a simple rebellion or whatever um, to do anything but discuss the horror. I wrote it as a horror novel or a horror adventure because it kind of has a thrill aspect to it uh, of what if it did keep going and it got worse and worse and worse. Where would we wind up being, you know, just beyond where my life would be. So, you know, let's say 30 to 50, 70 years from now, right? Where would we be? So not that our future, just play with that one parameter. If we don't get better, if we don't find a way to talk to each other, what happens, you know, but I mentioned to you that, um, Blackjack, uh, Trial by Fire, which is some crazy-ass uh, actioner, you know? Which and Chris Coke, for any of you who don't know that, yes, go ahead. Yeah, and and my after, after a page or two, have it all action, you know? The guy who wrote uh, the first Rambo story, you know? Um, is it First Blood? Is that yeah, what first the name of the novel? Yeah, the right? Book. yeah right. It's, it, yeah, his experiment was, you know, people love the action sequences. What if you just had a little setup and the rest of the novel were action sequences and you had to tell whatever other parts of the story you had to tell, you know, through the almost non-ending action, right? And it was, it was a great uh, chance for me to try that experiment on a smaller scale. This was, you know, either a short story or an even shorter novella, trial by fire right mm-hmm. and but the but underneath all that action it was is it possible for warring factions and people who are supposed to hate each other is it possible for them to find common ground is it possible to reach reasonableness when everybody's supposed to hate each other and and, and uh, i asked permission to set it right after your story, the legendary story that will come out one day about <laughs> Blackjack being hired to protect um, Jesse Owens. He gave me permission and told me, here's some elements you need to know about that story that should, you know, should have some elements of that in trial by fire. And so that takes place in Nazi Germany, the Jesse Owens piece. So that's where he is at the beginning of this story. In American and Nazi Germany, yeah, there's going to be a lot of hate. 
and he runs into a Russian. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of hate. Can they find common ground? Right. So, and, and, and even and, an action, just all out but, crazy ass action also, story, in a way, can be political. Add to that is also he's he's an American in Nazi Germany. He's a black American in Nazi Germany. Yes. You know, okay. I, it, so there's, there's another level of politics. There's all these levels, exactly. Excuse me? So you can read, and I think you can read with almost any piece of literature, right? Or genre literature, right? You can read it for the enjoyment of the story. Same thing with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Same thing with anything, you know, that is creative. You can enjoy it for what it is. Or you can dive deeper. I don't think a reader is forced or should be forced. Sometimes you're in school, you're forced. I don't <laughs> think a reader should be forced to wrestle with the politics of any piece at all. You know, uh, War and Peace could be seen as a war picture, or a war book. Doesn't have to have, you know, you don't have to go and do your, you know, your thesis paper on the deeper parts of it. If you're not, you know, I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's another element you enjoy on there. However, just like, you know, the, the oyster or the clam, I think it's always um, gets a little sand in it. Yep. And it's annoying him and he, it rubs it, he rubs it, rubs it and, it, and it develops into a pearl. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not such a far-fetched metaphor for a creative. Get some idea, gets singing, you can't finish thing. Whether it's a I'm, painting I'm or sorry. a dance I'm, or a movie I'm, or a book, or, huh? Get some idea, and then what? So, could you repeat that? Get some idea. Well, you know, uh, the creative gets an idea, and it it won't leave, right? It doesn't leave because we get ideas, and you know, that'll be a great story, and we never hear from that again. <laughs> right? But the one that doesn't leave is the one you have to do something with, whether it's write a short story or a novel or a poem or you know. A, uh, a screenplay or a ballet or on and on paint a picture paint a big picture paint a little picture it doesn't make a difference you know knock something out of rock into a, a sculpture whatever that thing is that keeps us moving like you know the the oyster or the clam there that is you know i guess the grain of sand here the pearl and the oyster right? yeah it's right and just it keeps rubbing until it becomes this pearl, this beautiful uh, work of art. That's what happens, you know? Um, whether it's a political problem or, or um, a love story that winds up, there's a way to look at it politically. That's everybody's choice, you know? Mark oh, Twain, funny stuff, wrote great stuff. Some people say he wrote racist stuff. Mark Twain says he wrote about a very young America struggling to grow up. And then he further said that Huck Finn was a metaphor for black America having the patience to teach young, ignorant America how to be better. I, didn't, I was never taught that, nor did I see that when I was reading in elementary school. But when did you hear that? When did, when did that say? Oh, it's got to be Got to be two, three years ago, I was reading something on Mark Twain, 
and they quoted his uh, interpretation of it. There you and, go. And uh, I'm like, whoa, what the hell? That's fan- That's a you know, fantastic way of looking in that book. Well, you know, you know going back to the question, you know, about whether or not an artist is obligated, I think we are obligated to be true to ourselves. I think we are mm-hmm. obligated to express what we feel or see or want to see, you know, create the world you want to live in. You know, I think that we're, yeah. we're obligated to do that as individuals. I think then your social consciousness, that individual's own consciousness about where they fit in the, in the, in the greater scheme of things, dictate whether or not you want to tell stories that have a political or social uh, implication or message. I mean, you know, we can go from Aesop's fables to to Archie comics. I did an Archie story uh, a few years back with Obama and Palin in it. And when the company asked me to do it, I know for them, part of the fun of, of the idea was to have, you know, these two opposing political forces in the same book. And for the humor of, as they did on the cover, having Obama and Sarah Palin sharing uh, um, an ice cream soda, right? You know, the typical Archie Betty Veronica shot, but now it's Archie, Obama, right. Sarah Palin. And I found out that, you know, over, over time, there was, some, there was some kickback, you know, or pushback, rather, to the cover, because uh, what they were drinking was an, uh, a vanilla ice cream soda. <laughs> and some people come <laughs> Yeah, and you're like, wait, wait a minute, yeah, man. You know, now if they'd that been was, we would have a big meeting soda. saying, let's make them more vanilla. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if it's chocolate ice cream soda, you know, then it would have been something else. And then I say, well, maybe they could have gone with strawberries. I said, no, no, because then that would have gone into another political. I said, Jesus, yeah. is there any way that you can just do? And you know, well, it, it it comes down, but it comes down to people's interpretations, what people are looking for, what they're thinking at the time they look at the image or they read the words. I wrote that story the way I set up the Obama Palin aspect of the story. I won't go into the whole thing now, but Archie and, and the gang do something that forces these two people to come to Riverdale to straighten them out. And as they get into it, you know, eventually both Reggie and Archie wind up talking to these two characters, uh, Obama and Sarah Palin, separately, and they learn something from that encounter. But the story was about a particular thing. It was about the kids doing their thing, but underneath it was a story about media manipulation. And just my making that commentary through this fun, outrageous storyline. But that's because that was something I wanted to do. I didn't feel that, oh, I'm going to do a a story with Obama and Sarah, so I must make a political statement about them. Because then I could have gone in the other direction and made it about, you know, all the stuff that happened during the various campaigns. So I think sometimes we, we as artists may choose to make some sort of a statement or take on an issue. But I think we shouldn't feel obligated to do it unless, again, it's our own individual personal decision. I don't think anyone should, should well, lay us that, you know, in, that we must, therefore, we do. Can we talk about the character you created for DC called Orpheus? Ah, yes, we can. All right. So my question to you is, what was your, what was your marching orders for, uh, from DC for creating Orpheus? DC asked me to create a black hero or superhero for the Batman line of books. That was their okay, specific cool. quest. All right. So now I want to throw in, and it, it was despicably short-lived, 
and the person who made it short-lived is no longer there, so maybe there's a chance of bringing them back. And here's why I would say that. One of the things that I teach in school when I teach about uh, foils, you know, it's very easy for the students to get the foils in Hamlet once we do the foil wheel for Batman, you know? Mm-hmm. And every character in Batman is a foil in some aspect for Batman. Either they are his opposite, and they're, those are the villains, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Batman wants an orderly society. Joker insists on an unorderly and chaotic society. Mm-hmm. Batman wants to figure everything out. The Riddler wants to... Uh, uh, stump him to show him that he can't figure everything out and on and on it goes, right? Um, you can even do it for Robin, Nightwing, uh, Commissioner Gordon, all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> what I saw in Orpheus was, you know, Batman at that point had a, a kind of a family of heroes around him. And here was someone who could stand toe-to-toe, shoulder-to-shoulder, and, and even had a, a financing that he would not need Batman and therefore did not have to answer to Batman mm-hmm. and had his own Gotham that he was protecting, which would force Batman to look at Gotham in a different light. Gotham, you know, Batman always says, I am the knight and I am Gotham's protector, right? I am. And Orpheus to me says, well, not just you, brother. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought there was so much potential to modernize Batman in a truly diverse way. There are... um, I don't want to. I don't want to be really nasty, but there are diverse characters in there. But sometimes I feel like you know today these days that they're just there to say, "Look, see, we have diversity." <laughs> There's a difference between having tokens and being diverse. And I thought Orpheus was true, truly diversifying. Gotham. It was the first time we really heard about, you know, uh, the black section of Gotham and that there was a population that didn't necessarily wait around for the white man to save them. I thought that would have deepened Gotham and deepened Batman considerably. Well, also, that's my soapbox. One of the one of the the, the, the lines that I, I wrote for a particular reason, because at that time I was anticipating having more time to work with the character and, and, and especially within the Batman universe. Uh, I wrote a line that you know, basically says that um, you don't see this area. You know, I mean, if you think about it, how often have you been in this neighborhood? Yeah. And it, it wasn't even really a put down. It was like, realize, fella, you know, wake up to this. You know, this is yeah, something and- you don't do. So naturally, their reaction to you is going to be different. Naturally, I might be focused on not only fighting crime, but but also dealing with this scenario. And I felt that that now, was... Now, that a- was... I'm sorry. 
Yeah, yeah I'm what I was going to say was that was not overtly political. No, that was not um, uh, racially motivated. It was bringing in a different set of eyes, and by so doing, organically diversifying a character and a setting that could use a little bit of that over 80 years. You know? Well, I would, I would also say that, and again, it goes back to an individual artist's POV or, it's, or life experience and what they want to accomplish. Um, I, I, you know, there's, there's that line about, just to take it in a different direction for a second, there's that line about, you know, women are from Venus, men are from Mars. And it, usually that line is said as if this is why we can't get along. And I always look at that as, yeah, and what's the problem? It's not a problem until we make it a problem. The problem racially has always been, I mean, you and I are definitely not of the same uh, uh, ethnic background, and we will butt heads on things and we will shake hands on things because we as individuals get along. You know, we, mm-hmm. we, we talk, we like each other, we share our families with each other. And so to me, it's, it's not about what one can't do. It's about recognizing what hasn't been done or, or up until a certain point thought could not be done. But now that we're awake, let's do this. Let's fix this. Let's, yeah. let's challenge this. Let's explore this. So Orpheus's attitude was, this has not been taken care of. I can help here. I can, here to take it, yeah. I, can, I can help here. I can focus here. You know, and just, just see me as this addition to solving the problem, you know. And in some of his encounters... And, and I thought that was an interesting uh, addition to Gotham, and I was disappointed when it was taken away and a less diverse substitute was put in there. I, you know, um, and, and it, this is where conversations could get uh, political and, and based on fact or supposition about why it was taken out, who took it out, you know, what was done to replace it, quote unquote. Um, and that's, that's all legitimate, but that's in the real world. Um, in terms of what one does as an artist, you know, again, I can deal with that either in the real world, dialogue with individuals, or I can use that as fuel for something else, or I can walk by Studio 54 and not care that I'm not going to get in there. You know, it's 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 really sort of where do Studio I... Studio 54. Yeah, where, yeah, where do I want to... an old reference. Yeah, and that's okay. Somebody will look it up, you know. It's it's a it's a reference that says you know if you're not invited to sit down at the at the popular kids table it's okay there's plenty of other tables you know and that's that's cool um, we were talking again I, you know in terms of comics novels films you know just to throw some old names out there for a moment um, we can go back to uh, uh, Steve Ditko in the comics uh, arena who like with the question the way he originally worked with the question there was definitely uh, social commentary in there and political statements in there because that's who Steve, you know, basically how Steve seemed to present himself and a lot of his work. So you had comic book right. characters fighting villains and all that, but he was making societal statements, big, broad ones. Uh, he was. I even, I'm sorry. Well, he was, invo- he was influenced by Ayn Ayn Rand yeah. a lot. Yeah, Fountainhead. It, it, and, you know. The Fountainhead, and it, it, it influenced his art and uh what messages he was trying to get at, but it also, you know, inter-office politics, social politics, and I mean, people can choose to go that way. That's right. 
Now you, so you can do, you know, you can do, um, you can do Archie, you can do uh, the, 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 the Harvey Comics line of kind of like Little Richie and Little Lotta, and you can do all those things purely as fun, goofy things, right? And have just a, a wonderful time. You can do Superman as, you know, uh, Earth alien fighting outer space aliens and other, other extraordinary monsters. Or you could also look at Superman as fighting the KKK, which he did in the 1940s radio show. And that that information came to the producers of that show based on actual undercover work that someone did going into the KKK, getting that information coming out and trying to share it with the world to say these people are dangerous. So you can use art in so many different ways. And I still think whether it's political, social or whatever, whether it's about issues, should be the determination of the artist. And that we as artists should not feel that by virtue of the fact we're creating art, we are being political. I, I just read- Yeah, I don't, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, you were saying, you don't. Uh, I, I think that's a choice, uh, you know, to be political or not political. I think the obligation you have to be true to your art and you have to be true to what moves you. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have to be, it's dangerous. If you're very, very political, there's a thin line between your art and self-indulgence. And part of becoming a professional artist, professional creative is becoming aware of self-editor or whatever um what's art and what's rant you know what's art what's indulgence what is character development and what's political diatribe and the, you know the hardest thing for any creative to be is completely honest with yourself sometimes we over uh react and say this sucks and, and it doesn't really it's just not finished yet yeah or, this is the greatest thing ever and Yes, and that, and don't either of those extremes is usually not true. Yes, you know? don't touch a yeah. single word. It's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Neither of those extremes is uh, true that often. But looking at your work and, and, you know, again, going back, and I believe in editing and I believe in asking yourself the tough questions, you know, is this there to serve the story or is that there because I want to take that shot at that political thought or this or that, you know. And you have to make peace with the answers. Let me. George let me, Orwell wrote politically. Yeah. But he made sure he turned it into art. You know. Let me let me mention this. I had a student uh, that I've been working with, a screenwriting student, and he was stumped. He was having all kinds of problems writing uh, a particular script, a short script, but just you know, with everything that's going on around us, obviously that that influenced you know him as well. Mm -hmm. It was weighing on him. But he was having a lot of trouble just getting the writing going. So we had a consultation session. So it was just one-on-one. -on -one. And I was asking him, you know, just talk to me about where you are, what it feels like that's holding you back, or what are you struggling with? And what it came down to, really, in essence, was he had some ideas. He even had even had, had an idea that he'd worked on uh, quite a bit uh, in terms of getting pieces together and all that. And then what he was... He'd heard, though, that, well, you know, your stuff is kind of dark and, you know, it's, it's really kind of dark and kind of, you know, I don't know if you, he said, really, you know, 
And so part of, you know, whatever the self-doubt or lack of self-confidence that we normally feel when we're attacking a project, especially if we're new to this, aside from that, he was getting this opinion sort of dumped on him that he shouldn't, you know, follow his creative instinct. You know, so I said to him, look, um, the quote unquote dark material that you do, he's, are you thinking of acting on that? No, no, I would never do those guys. I said, all right, so fine. If we're talking fiction, then go for it. I mean, if, you know, if Hitchcock was worried that he shouldn't do suspense thrillers because that might mean there's something wrong with him, we wouldn't have, you know, Psycho, and we wouldn't have some of the other things that people still talk about. There's a number of other, and I ran off a number of examples. I said, write the piece. If it holds up, it'll hold up. If it doesn't, yeah. you'll see that, you know? And, and you can do some over-the-top stuff. And if you're true to it, make it work extraordinarily well. Exactly. Uh, exactly. I'm, I'm still I'm still in Brian Keene University. You know, I'm going in through all those old books and stuff. And I'm at um, the author preferred version of one of his first novels, The Ritual, uh, The Rising, which is okay. about uh, it, it predates The Walking Dead, but it's, you know, Rise of Zombies and stuff. But the twist he gives. Brilliant. And, you know, what they are and where they come from uh, and the way he explains how they got here. It, it, it gives an entirely fresh uh, perspective on the old zombie diatribe, you know? You could often say that Anne Rice did that with vampires. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I read, you know, what was it? So, <laughs> the Vampire, and I went, whoa. The, thing, yeah. the line that disturbed me the most was when Lestat, and not Lestat, when, um, oh, um, I'm trying to remember the lead character's name, I can't right now, but the, the lead character, the lead vampire character is talking to the young man who's interviewing him. And, and he said, wait a minute, the kid says to him, wait, you were in a church? I, I, did, didn't the cross bother you or something like that? And he says, you know, I've always liked crosses. And I say, whoa, okay, yeah. there goes the arsenal, you know. Yeah. A similar, I don't want to give too much away with Keen, but a similar thing is, you know, our hero comes face to face with a zombie. And the zombie says, hello there, Billy boy, and takes his gun away. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Pissing you yeah. short. That's Pissing a whole your different whole different take on zombies and i can't turn the pages fast enough brian Keene, the rising gives you an idea of you know just taking your ideas to their limit whatever they whatever you have in being as true as your art will exactly you, know, you can make your art and then you can talk talk about it is political or whether it's a social commentary. Sure, but that's on reader response. That doesn't have to be shouldered by the artist. The artist just has to put in everything that you have into the work as true as you can. Tell that damn story and whatever happens after it, that's the other side of the connection. It absolutely is. I, I, I'm glad you dropped in the tell the damn story part, but I, I got to throw in this last, com uh, this last comment because you brought it up what during the do you want to do, bro? 
through the pre just before and we were doing the pre-show uh dialogue mm -hmm. and you brought up once you know and we're going to mention it again um trial by fire and you're talking about the opposed sure. sides you know you have an american warrior and you had a russian warrior and and basically whether or not they could come together to deal with the fact that they're being chased by this army of people who basically want them dead the element that you didn't mention just now is the children that the russian warrior is responsible oh. Of course, yes. Right, these three darling girls, right? And I'm not giving away the whole story, but, you know, they, the Russian character, warrior in this case, you know, you'll find out what he really does, folks, when you read the story. But the Russian warrior has never met someone like Blackjack. The girls have never seen anybody like him, right? And yet they're all thrust into this dangerous, explosive, and I mean that literally, situation where they've got to adjust to each other or say, screw you, and, and it's, it's everybody for themselves, or stick to, I don't know you, I can't trust you. So there's all this stuff going on. And I really like the way you handled the kids within that story, and I think it made a very clear statement about not only the opposing sides and whether or not they can find a way to communicate and maybe work together, but what is the position of the... What is the position of innocence in the middle of that conflict? You know, and and, and I that's to me that metaphorically, yeah, our only hope, right? right. It's our so, only hope. Know. And in a blackjack story that I did years before we started writing together, um, Blood and Honor, there is also a child in this story who has never met anybody like Aaron, and is a dangerous situation. And the, the cover of the book was painted by Brian Stelfreeze, a wonderful uh, artist lives in Atlanta. And he did something that I hadn't requested on the cover, but he did a little bitty thing, a little artistic thing that I, I felt spoke volumes to the relationship between this, this warrior, this hero, who's there to protect this child. And on the cover, you, you get it. He's look, He's got the child in one arm, he's got his pistol in the other, and he's got a look on his face like, you want to get to her, you got to go through me kind of thing. And the child could have been just hold, you know, being held in his arms and scared of it. But Brian had her, her one little hand reaching out and holding on to the, his collar, the collar of his jacket, which, which is acceptance, security. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm okay here. I'm, I feel safe here. You know, it's making that, connect, that subtle thing that makes that connection. And again, what is the position of innocence in the middle of a war of ignorance? And I, I think and that... The, the viewer can look at that as a political statement, but it, it's a storytelling statement. Yeah, you know, exactly. Reader response. If, if, you know, if you want to go into that hand and what the hand on the collar means and all that stuff, you can, you can ascribe all the politics you want to it. Yeah. I would say that if we ask Brian, he would say, as being true to the moment. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's how I, you know, and, and true to the moment will... We'll conquer the day for creatives every single time. Absolutely. So as the question stands out there, folks, whether or not all artists are political or whether or not it should be or whether all artists are obligated to be political or to write or produce or create um, political and issue-driven statements, um, my point of view is no, you're not obligated to do it except if it's true to you. If it's true to the art that you're trying to create, if that's what you're trying to say, then yes. Society does not have a right to place on you that obligation. Uh, that's my point of view. 
And I think that if you are going to do political or do stories that have issues and you want to deal with them and reveal them and reflect on them, then you should. You absolutely should. And I mean, obviously, I do to some degree. I do certain stories that absolutely are about that because that's what I feel. And, and therefore, I do want to say something about it or at least look at it, you know, even if I don't have answers for it. Chris? What was, what was, what was Charlie Chaplin's character's name? The Tramp. That was okay, so so which is more uh, of a political work by Charlie Chaplin, the Tramp or the Great Dictator? Uh, well, the Tramp was his character's name, so you could say Modern Times was a political statement about you know the depression and 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 the lack of food and care in America at that time. Uh, but I yeah. was. If you look at The Tramp in, in three of his regular films and you look at The Great Dictator, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would say, I would have to say The Tramp in those, at least two of those films is more of a political statement or a statement yeah. about society. Because The Great Dictator is there a you go. statement about an individual and the movement that that individual created. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, and I would I would suggest that The Great Dictator was more of an overt effort to be political, while The Tramp was an overt effort to be um, artistic in what he could do, you know, both physical comedy and then his natural creativity urged him to humanize The Tramp, and that became social commentary. And I think that's a great example that underscores what we're trying to say here today. And yeah, and actually, even, you know, once again, sometimes people see when you make a political statement or you're making a statement about a, 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 a societal problem, that it's, it's got to be a heavy, dramatic, you know, in your face kind of thing. Right. And A, that wasn't Charlie's style. And B, the ending of most of his films, even though his character, you know, like we like to have characters win, win. So they win money or they, they win, you know, they win out over the bad guy. Often he was right back where he started. He had not financially advanced, life had not improved, but his attitude was tomorrow's another day. Yeah, survival. Yeah. You know, survive. Find your peace and find your joy. Yeah. Right. That's right. Make the best of and, and face tomorrow. And that's, you know, that's, again, I can look at it that way. Sitting in a restaurant in the, in the West Village when I was a teenager watching these films, I was laughing my butt off not necessarily thinking about it on, on, on the grander scale. Great should work on all those levels. Yep, absolutely. You know, so, that's folks. That's how you tell the story, damn that's it. Tell right. the damn story on all the levels. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, as, as always, oh, I'm sorry. We said we were going to make mention of this, um, and we're not coming for you folks, but we're just going to mention that uh, a couple of weeks ago we offered an opportunity to have people, you know, based on the episode that we did, uh, submit some short stories, you know, 700 words, um, no more, and that they could be, the story could be wrapped within the, the experience of the coronavirus or the world, you know, that this has, has created for us, but it didn't have to be about the coronavirus. It could be just right. something that happened within that world and the one that we're living with right now. And uh, we said, you know, just send them in to us via email or whatever, mm -hmm. and we would pick the 10 best, and we would publish them here on our site and on our blog, right. and no, there's no money involved, 
and you own the stories. You know, we don't own anything. And it was just a chance to share uh, not only stories, uh, you know, that, that center around this, what's happening now and, and how people are, you know, doing their, their life within it, but also it was just a, an, an opportunity to share stories, just to have those, those, those experiences come in here. Have and, them out there you know, and for us to make a fuss about you. Right, exactly. Uh, and we got absolutely, well, no, I can't say we got absolutely zero. Uh, Chris, take it. Okay, well, um, I haven't checked uh, yesterday or today, so maybe there's a really late one, but it was supposed to be in by uh, May 15th. So, hey, uh, but what we did get was an all call for, like, romance, you know, amid the p- pandemic. So mm-hmm. we got a call for a different set of stories for a different anthology. And uh, having not gotten anything that I needed to edit, uh, I came up with a story for that anthology and submitted it. Hopefully they'll <laughs> like it. But um, so, you know, again, you got to follow, you got to follow your muse. You got to uh, uh, recognize opportunities when they, when they come to you. Um, we may offer again to do something like that. Um, but we do encourage it. It's everybody has to start somewhere, you know. Exactly. And I've done. Exactly. I've spent some time this year getting published for no money because they were recognized and respected places that I wanted my name associated with. And you can do the same thing. We're tiny. We're much tinier than say Shotgun Honey or this or that. But we're a place to start. Um, mm-hmm. a, so a place I'm sorry start. I didn't see any of the work, but that's a welcome know. mat in front of the door. I mean, you know, we place it out there. So. There you, there you have it. Um, so as Chris said, we might do this again. We might make that offer again. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, just going forward, think about that when you try to make a decision about whether, well, you know, they, they're, not, they're not Simon & Schuster or they're not this or they're not that. You know, start somewhere. Start somewhere because it's, it's, it's honing your craft, all right? You're, you're improving every time you write. You know, it's getting the word out. You don't know who knows who. You don't know how the audience is going to react to your piece. That might jettison you forward, you know, in a way you hadn't even conceived of. So just, you know, not just yeah. with us, but think well, about it. it's just like everything leads to something else, you know? Yeah. And the yeah. other thing I would add to that is to quote Joe, Joe R. Lansdale, which he says, you know, you want to be vetted by somebody else. You want to have had someone else say, yes, I'll publish your stuff. Yes, you're worth sharing with the world. And, you know, you got to start somewhere. Exactly. Okay. So it's another another week. It's another time, another chance to tell the damn story. Get out there. That's right. Go forth and be brilliant. Um, And, Chris, uh, enjoy your Memorial Day weekend sitting there in that that nice evening, whatever that is, outside. That that rocking chair. In there against the Red Hey, now. All right. Okay, and folks, uh, as, you, as always, if you have comments, questions, whatever, leave them here on our site or email us, and you see the email address. But, you know, let's hear from you. Take care, Chris. Take care, everybody. Have a good weekend. Peace. Take care. Enjoy. <laughs>